Hi, this is David and Barbie Cooper. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's always a privilege to share this time with you. Remember to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media. And for more information and resources to help you grow in your walk with the Lord, go to malparent.com. Thank you for your generous support. It helps the ministry greatly. Today, we are continuing our study on the amazing book of Hebrews. We're looking today at Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 12, Tabernacle Truths. One of the most fascinating studies in the Bible is the tabernacle, which was built by Moses during the desert years of Israel after their exodus from Egypt. Did you know that the Bible devotes 50 chapters to explaining the design and the development of the tabernacle? Most importantly, the tabernacle of the Old Testament is a type, which means an example of the person and work of Jesus as our Savior. The tabernacle is a type of Christ. The writer of Hebrews compares and contrasts the tabernacle of Moses with the true tabernacle in heaven. So the scripture writes about the tabernacle on earth that Moses built and later became the temple in Jerusalem with the true tabernacle in heaven. So there's a mirroring of what goes on on earth and heaven. Now, this means that the earthly tabernacle and its worship pattern teaches us great spiritual truths. The tabernacle of Moses later became the temple in Jerusalem, built first by King Solomon. The word tabernacle means the sanctuary and dwelling place of God. Let's look closer at the truths of the tabernacle that we discover here in Hebrews, the ninth chapter. First of all, the writer tells us about the tabernacle formation, the way it was designed, the way it was built, what was in it. We read in chapter 9, verse 1 and following, Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly tabernacle. A tabernacle was set up in its first room with the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense in the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. So the writer gives us a quick overview of the way the tabernacle was structured. First of all, there was an outer courtyard People came through the main entrance and there was only one entrance around the curtain. They came into the courtyard. In that outer courtyard, although not mentioned here in Hebrews, there was the bronze altar where they had the daily sacrifices. And behind it, then was the labor of cleansing. That's where the priests would wash their hands every day before they performed their ministry. Then the holy place, and the writer calls it the first room, the first place, is called the holy place that had the lampstand the menorah, the light burning, the table of bread. There were 12 loaves of bread representing the 12 tribes of Israel and the altar of incense. Now, many people have debated this right here because the writer of Hebrews actually says it's behind the veil. And actually, the text means it was close to the veil because the altar of incense sat right in front of this veil, this curtain. And behind that veil was the second room, the smaller room, the most holy place, also called the Holy of Holies. In this little room, there was only one piece of furniture, the Ark of the Covenant. He says on top of it, there were the cherubim. Now, these are mighty angels. They carved the top 
piece, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, was solid gold. And they had these two beautiful angels with the wings outstretched facing each other. You may remember in the Garden of Eden store at the end of Genesis chapter 3, it tells us that there were cherubim that guarded the way to the garden because we forfeited the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. So these cherubim were on top of the Ark of the Covenant on the lid, the cover, and inside of it, there was originally a bowl of manna to remember the provision. There was Aaron's rod, his staff, that God had caused one time to bud a flower to prove that he was the one that God confirmed as a priesthood life out of death was the miracle of that experience when Aaron's rod budded. Most importantly, and the one piece that stayed for years and years, the only piece that remained for generations were the two tablets of the covenant, known also as the Ten Commandments. Now, all of this was lost right before the time of Christ when there was a war in Israel and Babylon conquered Israel and destroyed the temple of God in Jerusalem. All of these articles, unfortunately, were lost. But he describes for us the tabernacle. So if I could give you a mental picture, if you come through the main entrance, and there's only one entrance into the tabernacle for the worshipers, everybody came through the one entrance. Well, that represents Jesus, the only way, the only door to God. You come, first of all, to the bronze altar, the sacrifice. You come by the way of the cross, except Christ is your Savior. Behind it, there was this labor of cleansing where the water poured out, where the priest could wash. As Christians, we're saved, but we oftentimes need spiritual cleansing. Then you walk into the holy place, the first room, to your right, you have the table of showbread. To your left, you have the lampstand. Directly in front of you, you have this altar of incense. And the incense burned continually because it represented prayers. The table of showbread, the 12 loaves, 12 tribes of Israel, later 12 apostles, they represent the people of God, Christ, the bread of life. The lampstand to your left, the menorah is Christ, the light of the world. The altar of incense is the intercessory work of Jesus for us as our great high priest. Then there was a curtain behind that ark of incense. And behind it, there was the most holy place, Holy of Holies, it's also called. The Ark of the Covenant was there. And the high priest only went into the little room, the Holy of Holies, one time a year in the fall on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, known today, the day of covering for sins. And the high priest took off all of his beautiful outer garments, went in with a single linen ephod, a little white linen ephod. And he went in there with some of the blood from the sacrifice out in the altar. And he took a branch, a little piece of a branch, which was called hyssop. And he dipped it in this small amount of blood from the sacrifice. And he sprinkled it seven times on the Ark of the Covenant, on the cover. He sprinkled it right between the cherubim. The two cherubim were looking downward as though they were looking at something in the Ark. They're looking at the law of God. The symbolism is very powerful, that the law of God in the ark is speaking to the God who in the psalmist says he dwells between the cherubim. The cherubim represent a barrier between humanity and God because of our sin. It is as though they guard the holiness of God. That Because of our sinfulness, we don't really have the right to go into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. And those cherubim are looking at the law. Well, the law of God is holy and righteous and good, Romans the seventh chapter says. But the law reveals our sin. The law condemns us all. 
And it's as though the law is speaking to God who dwells between the cherubim in the symbolism and the law condemns us as sin. So the priest goes in on the day of atonement and he takes this little hyssop branch and he dips it in a small amount of blood and he sprinkles it seven times. Seven in the Bible represents completion, the finished work of redemption. He covers the top of the Ark of the Covenant. Well, it covers the voice of the law. So now the cherubim look at the blood. The blood silences the law. It silences our guilt. And the blood speaks to us that we're cleansed, made righteous, and made holy. And the presence of God would fill that holy of holies on the day of atonement. Early in the days of Moses, that glory appeared as a cloud. And that's how the people knew that God was dwelling with them. This amazing tabernacle, and the writer is wise to say, we don't have the time to talk about the details. I wanted to give you a few details today just to show you how fascinating the imagery of this tabernacle is and the way it was pointing the people's attention to the finished work of Jesus, the seven times of the blood, the finished work, which is why he shouted from the cross, it is finished, it is complete. So that's how the tabernacle was designed. It was designed to teach people about God's saving grace and his work of atonement through Jesus, our Savior. Now the writer tells us about the tabernacle function, things that went on daily in the worship. Just like when you go to church, we have ministers and the church is always having certain ministry functions for people. Well, there was an ongoing ministry in the tabernacle and later the temple in Jerusalem. So he continues and writes, verse six and following, when everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. That's that holy place with the table of showbread, the altar of incense and the candlesticks. But only the high priest entered the inner room. That's the Holy of Holies. And that only once a year and never without blood which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people, which we had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way, that's Christ, the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. Let me pause right there. It represents the way to God. How do we, sinful humanity, find our way back to God? Well, this tabernacle is illustrating Christ the way. This is an illustration, in other words, the tabernacle, the worship, the day of atonement, all the furniture, all of it is an illustration for the present time, this generation, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. Then you may say, well, why do they offer gifts and sacrifices if they couldn't atone for sins? Because they were examples of God's provision of atonement through his son. There were great spiritual lessons in those sacrifices because the sacrifice comes from outside the worshiper. It comes from an animal taking the place of the worshiper. It shows people that atonement for sins comes from an outside source, not a human source. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't bring good works to the altar. You don't have the ability to atone for your sins. It comes from an outside source. Atonement came Outside of us, it came from Christ himself, who is the sacrifice for the sins of the world. These Old Testament sacrifices and the gifts used in temple worship, he says they are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings. So they had these rituals and customs and traditions, and they were great. God ordained them, but he ordained them to teach them about his saving grace. The sacrifices and the worship days and the Sabbath and even the rituals were great. 
But that didn't save people from their sins. They were only examples. It's like Holy Communion. Because we take Holy Communion, it doesn't make us redeemed. We take it because we are, we're celebrating that Christ provided atonement for us. He goes on to say these external regulations applied at that time until the time of the new order. Well, that's coming of Jesus, the new covenant that he brought, his death, burial, and resurrection. So we don't practice these Old Testament rituals and sacrifices. They were looking forward to Christ. They were teaching the people that atonement was coming. But now that Jesus has appeared, atonement is complete, redemption is finished. We don't use those rituals and customs anymore. Now we learn here that the daily ministry of the priest took place in that first room, the holy place. They would change that bread every day. They had to replace the oil and the candelabra and the lampstand because it was never allowed to go out. They had to replace the altar of incense. It never stopped burning the incense, representing the eternal intercession of Jesus for us. He mentions here the annual day of atonement by the high priest. And this year in the fall, when you see Yom Kippur on your calendar, you'll now know what that is about, the day of atonement. And he reminds us that the way, only one way into the Holy of Holies, that's the presence of God, is by Jesus, the new and living way. So the tabernacle was an illustration of the redeeming work of Christ on the cross. And finally, he talks about the tabernacle fulfillment. Everything it was set up to do was fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Do not think I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I've not come to destroy them, but to fulfill them. He fulfilled all of what the tabernacle was anticipating. So the writer ends this portion of the ninth chapter of Hebrews by saying, but when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, think about that. Christ is the tabernacle. Christ is the high priest. Christ is the sacrifice. Christ is all of this imagery. He came as high priest of the good things that are now here. It means the good, good things of salvation, the good things of the new birth, the good things of the grace of God. Jesus went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, not part of this creation. He did not enter, that means heaven, after his crucifixion by means of the blood of goats and calves. But he entered the most holy place once for all. Note that phrase, once for all, by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Now, what do we learn in these closing verses of Hebrews 9? We learn, first of all, that Jesus is our great high priest, and he is the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world, according to 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Think about that. He's the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the entire world. Second of all, he reminds us that Jesus entered heaven itself with his atoning blood to obtain eternal redemption for all who will receive his grace. Now, this is a fascinating truth because many people have speculated, well, in what way, how, when did Jesus take some of his blood that was shed at Calvary and go into heaven and sprinkle his blood? Well, I don't know if that happened literally. Many people have speculated and scholars or if that's a spiritual or not. The point is that Jesus' blood shed on the cross is a sufficient covering for the sins of the whole world if we'll just accept that gracious provision of atonement, which means a covering for sin and forgiveness. Let's join together in prayer. Father, today we thank you for these amazing tabernacle truths, how they give us an insight into this incredible work of your Son. 
I pray, Lord, for every person today that you'll bless them and may they know the joy of having their sins atoned for by the blood of Christ and the resurrection of our Lord in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining me today for our study through the book of Hebrews. I trust that you'll continue to invite others to join us, share the word with your family and friends. I want to ask you to subscribe to my sermon podcast. You get the Sunday sermons, you get the Dig Deep Bible studies, and our meeting team occasionally puts up messages you'll only find that we offer on the podcast. You can go to the Mount Perrin site, download it, follow me on social media, and you can subscribe to the podcast. Enjoying the Word is one of the greatest ways that we grow spiritually. I always enjoy sharing the Word of God with you and giving you a tool that you can share with others to help them know our Lord as well. Sunday's coming. I look forward to seeing you for worship this Sunday. We got a great Sunday plan on campus or online. I thank you for your commitment to the Mount Perry ministry and pray that you have an incredible day. I trust the message has been an encouragement to you today. Remember to follow us on social media and connect with us at mountperrin.com. I'll see you right here next week for a fresh message from God's Word.